0: That music again? That means the Tom Kearney Show has returned the first Monday after Christmas. I believe it's December the 28th in the year 2020. And till we're here with a little bit of live and in real time radio as we are every night, Monday through Friday, with a, an occasional deviation. And we'll have one of those on Thursday night when we'll have a repeat program on New Year's Eve. But that's three or four days away. And usually during this last week of the year, I recall some of our uh, better guests, best guests, some of our favorite guests, whatever, uh, to take a look back at uh, uh, the year that has gone past. uh, Because I've always sort of felt like for my personal self that I took a little time between Christmas and New Year's to uh, sort of ponder the eternal verities and see what went right and what didn't go right and uh, maybe make my New Year's resolutions if I'm so inclined. And one of the people who's been with us just about the whole time we've been on the air is our economic consultant and expert, Dr. Mike Walden of the faculty at NC State University, where he is the distinguished uh, William Neal Reynolds professor. And tonight he's going to talk about, well, the, the economy of 2020, which is going to, I'm sure, be a really interesting story because it's going to be something, I think, totally different. And taking a look at the economy of 2021, this is the Baker's Dozen, because he's made his 13, his 12, rather his 12 monthly visits, and this is the 13th one that looks back over the whole picture. Dr. Walden is a native of Cincinnati, Ohio, a graduate of the University of that city and of Cornell University, and he's been in state since the late 1970s. And he uh, performs the duties of a land grant uh, university professor. He teaches on the campus. He teaches. Throughout the state, and he does research, and, uh, and and we are the beneficiaries of that when he comes to visit with us, Dr. Walton. I understand you have a, a, recognition and a story for us to begin tonight.
1: Well, I do, Tom. And first of all, good evening to you and and to our listeners. And I just want to take a couple minutes to to note the passing of uh, Mark Bassnight, um, that's been been well uh, publicized today. Unfortunately, um, he died, I think, of Lou Gehrig's disease, age 73. Um, he was uh, president pro tent of the of the North Carolina Senate for for many years. That is an extremely powerful, as you know, Tom, powerful position. Probably uh, he's one of three top politicians in the state or elected officeholders that position in the state. Um, and my and he's uh, the the, the, uh, the comments about him have been pouring in, and I just wanted to add mine. And and of course they're all very positive about his personality. He's a very tough politician. I don't want, don't let people get me wrong. He, he uh, fought for what he believed in, um, but uh, personally, I think is where he shined, and, and I, I will give you my personal story on that. This was this was early in my career. I think I'd been at NC State uh, certainly less than 10 years, maybe just a little over five years, and, and um, I got a call from his office uh, saying that they would like me to to come down to the General Assembly and meet with him and the other Leaders of the Senate and talk about the economic outlook, which I which I'd been doing, and I think developed a reputation for for being able to talk about that in layman's language, and particularly focused on North Carolina. So so I did, uh, but I was very nervous. Um, I mean, I was nervous to be among such powerful people. Um, I don't know that I had tenure then. Not not that not that I was necessarily worried about that, but but um, I just didn't have as much. Confidence, as I as I do now, as an old old person. But anyway, um, went down. I think this was in the summer, and uh, I had not dressed appropriately. I always wear always would wear a tie to work, but I think I had short sleeve shirt on and no jacket. But I, would, I drove down there. It was all very quick notice, and um, uh, went to the conference room. and, and uh, Senator Bass knight was there, and and uh, the leaders, his leaders, if you will, of the Senate, the heads of the various committees. And he greeted me and had me had me sit sit next to him at the head of the table. And um, I don't I probably he he could tell that I was somewhat nervous. And so I'll I'll never forget. He leaned over to me and he said, "Well, Mike, um, tell me what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies?" And 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 I just I was just taken aback by that because normally you wouldn't expect someone in that position to to take an interest in your personal life. And so I. That, that created some chit chat between him and me and, and my nervousness. Uh I don't know that it totally went away, but it but a great deal of it went away and I just I just thought very highly of him ever since then.
0: Well I will take this as an opportunity to ask you a couple of questions about Senator Bass Night. Uh many of our listeners I think I know, I think I remember because he was a memorable person and was had high visibility a good bit of the time because of his position at mm-hmm. at the top of the stack. But I believe he represented uh, Mantio in the area on yes. the coast. Is that not yes, correct? Yes, yes,
1: In fact, I, um, he um, uh, at least part of his his business career was he had a restaurant in Manio. and uh, I can't. I've eaten there a couple of times. Uh, of course, not recently, and I and I hope it makes it through the pandemic. But he, he had a restaurant once you. I think it was. I think just as soon as you cross the bridge to Mantio, it was on the right and. Um, uh, he may have had some, some business and construction also, but yeah, he he uh, represented the Manio area, and then he went uh, back west into North Carolina, for example, Columbia, North Carolina. I think he represented whatever county that is. So several counties, but certainly on the east, in the eastern part of the state. And I think he was largely responsible, given his position, for for people like me who uh, occasionally drive uh, east uh, for getting I. Not I. It's in a state, state route State Route 64, four uh, for most of that drive from Raleigh to the coast. U.S. 64.
0: 64. Uh, there 64. you go. I'm, I just, I'm, uh, my processor is not working as yeah, fast as yeah. it usually does.
1: I think there's only a small stretcher. In fact, I think it's near Columbia, North Carolina, that is that is two lanes,
0: but most of it is now four lanes. And it's mostly flat too. Mostly <laughs> oh, flat. Which, that's right. Which, but Bart Retner, our my predecessor, told me once he lived in Rocky Mountain, as you may know, that that his father used to take the kids to the to Mania, and if they saw any rise more than three feet, he would give them a quarter or something. Yeah.
1: So anyway, I appreciate that because um, um, as, as the older, well, Tom, you're, you're a few a years older than me, but um, I'm I'm I've got that that 7, that crooked number right there in front of me, um, 70. Uh, but the older we get, um, the more likely we see things like this, people we've known, people we've worked with passing on. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a time to celebrate their life, but it's also a time of regret.
0: And the North Carolina state legislature, and there don't seem to be as many now, I mean, it seems to be a part of the, the political... Whatever, I'm, I'm not, going to, not going to apply a word to it because we don't really want or need to talk about it here. But there have been historically in my lifetime a lot of characters and people that are interesting people, and I don't mean anything uh-huh. negative by character, but just things that make them very memorable. And uh, Mr. Bassnight was certainly one of those people. Yeah, yeah, and, I agree. Uh, so I'm glad that you you did this uh, tonight. Uh, what we ought to do now is take a break, and it will give you a long run down to the half-hour news that you can be talking about the economy of 2020, which is going to be an interesting story. And I, I guess right after we take this break, you can come back and talk about those two months before the uh, before the virus arrived and things started getting a little weird. Does that sound all right to you, that Dr. Walton? That sounds great, Tom, yeah. Dr. Mike Waldman, professor of economics at NC State University, is our guest on this December the 28th. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Nine eighteen 18 at... Uh... WPTF, Tom Kearney, on a Monday night, and we're taking this last week of the year to look back on some of the things that occurred this year, and one of the things that has been uh, right up there along with the the COVID virus has been its effect on the economy and the economy's reaction to it, and uh, so we were going to ask Dr. Mike Walden to look back to those two months when things were relatively normal. Hey, before the bottom fell out, I don't know if the bottom fell out. I'm hesitating about saying that, but but we're going to find out exactly what did happen from Dr. Walden's point of view right now. Dr. Walden, well, we did start the year 2020 on a
1: high note regarding the economy. January, February were were very relatively good months when I gave my economic presentations, which I'm in the process of getting ready to do for just excuse me, just mentally. <laughs> <laughs> took a sip of water during the break, and it didn't go down the right pipe, I guess. My dad used to say that. But anyway, when I was doing my economic uh, outlook presentations in January, it was very upbeat. Um, You looked at our metrics. We had unemployment under 4%. We had um, wages rising across the board. We had uh, an economy that was growing. Interest rates were low. uh, Inflation was low. um, So... It was really a, a Goldilocks type of situation, and then the pandemic came. and And I'm I'm not one who points fingers and say, "Well, we should have known this was going to be bad." Or, or, uh, or I, I just I, I mean, at the time, I can remember Mrs. Walls and I had a trip scheduled in April to go to New York City. We love New York City. My wife Mary is from New York, and we had a trip scheduled. We were going to see um, See a play, which we love to do, and uh, remember thinking. Uh, in fact, we were having dinner with some friends in, in March. I think this is when things were beginning to. We were beginning to be aware that this was more than just uh, common flu, and and uh, businesses. There was talk about businesses shutting down and people stay-at-home orders that that had happened in other states, but not not yet in North Carolina. And I can remember talking with friends, and saying, "Well." Uh, we're still planning to go to New York at the end of April. Yeah, we think this will be wrapped up by then. So so it, we, people just most people just didn't know. But um, I think the, the crucial issue was um, that the virus was so uh, contagious, and the worry was that if we had thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people requiring hospitalization, um, would we have the capacity to do that? And so I think that was the initial reason why shutdown orders and stay at home orders were issued. And we're going through another version of that, at least in some states, although now I think there's a little more debate about how how feasible and how valuable it is to do that. But anyway, I think the thinking at that time in March was we needed to restrict um, face-to-face contact, human interaction, at least for a while, until the virus has gotten under control, until we, what is it, the phrase that became very famous, flatten the curve, happened, and and actually that did. Um, I think in North Carolina the shutdown orders occurred in um, I think it was mid March, March I think around March 20th, March 19th, something like that. And then Governor Cooper began to uh, open up the state in, in May, and the numbers actually had had moved in the in the right in the right direction, but. At the time, when in April was the worst month, when the shutdown orders were happening all across the country, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty well-forecasted by economists that this was going to have a big negative impact on the economy. If people can't go to work, if business, uh, businesses aren't open, uh, people can't interact, um, then you, you're, you're going to lose a big part of your economy. And, and indeed, the numbers, once they came in for that crucial second quarter, um, April, May, June, but April being by far the worst month. Uh, we they, The economy was down in that quarter by a record amount. We've never been down in the economy, down by meaning in terms of reduced economic interaction. We've never been down that much, even during the 1930s, as we were in the second quarter of, of 2020. Now, once economies began to open up, which here in North Carolina, we began to do that in May, then actually the economy came Roaring back fairly quickly. And in fact, if you look at the third quarter, uh, the economy was up just about as much as it was down in the second quarter. And um, now we're going through another uh, cycle of, unfortunately, of increased infections, increased hospitalizations, increased deaths. And some states, uh, probably most notably California and New York, have started to go back to state homeowners and shut down orders. We've not we done that in North Carolina. but so we're going through another another uh, version of, of what we were had gone through in the early part of the year. But all I think I think the, the biggest lesson I can I can give people here is that we did have a re- we have had a recession. We're now working our way out of that recession. Um, this was a recession that was unlike any in our history in the sense that it was not caused by fundamental economic problems. It was caused by a, a medical problem, a virus, a pandemic, that that we made the decision we had to close part of our economy in order to deal with that virus. Now, next, if we ever have this again, maybe different decisions will be made, but that was the decision that was made in, in the spring. Um, so we, here we are at the end of the year. I think, unfortunately, many people thought, the virus would have been gone, uh, totally contained. It's not, and I think that was the fear that, that uh, many expressed. Tom in the spring, that these things have a way. These things, being pandemics, have a way of hitting you once, and then maybe hitting you again, and maybe even hitting you a third time. And so there were people who were saying, "Don't when things were improving in the summer, don't get too, don't celebrate yet because it could come back." And indeed, that, that has happened. But uh, no question, this has been devastating to the economy, even though we are improving. Um, we <clears throat> we're probably looking at uh, tens of thousands of businesses nationwide never, never coming back. Uh, we're probably looking at um, large numbers of jobs uh, never coming back. We're looking at uh, many companies re- totally redoing uh, how they produce and how they sell. Uh, in order to perhaps avoid a lot of face-to-face contact, <clears throat> so this this has produced a a long-lasting impact on the economy. Even even when we get back totally to where we were uh, pre-pandemic, this is going to be a totally
0: different economy. You're you're saying that, Mike. Reminds me of uh, the thought that I had. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. You're, you're the e- economic historian here, but the what are they called? What do we call what happened in 2008? is not a depression. It's a, a recession. A recession. Yeah, uh, yeah. And but I was thinking, and, and I think people were saying, and any thoughts I have on it is usually something I've read from somebody or heard from you or some other economist that uh, there would be a lot of jobs that disappeared in the 2000. A recession that would never come back—not right. not on the scale of what we're talking about now—but the economic history of the first quarter of the twenty-first century is going to be an interesting uh, story of, I think, probably realignment because of one thing or another. Well, uh, yeah, I think you're you're right on on target, Tom. And let me
1: say a couple things. That one is the economy always is, is jobs are always shifting around, even in the best of times. When, when you hear numbers. Uh, that are posted every month, for, for for example, North Carolina in November created 16,000 jobs. That then doesn't mean everything stopped, everything held and we added 16 onto it. That's the difference between the jobs that were lost and the jobs that were gained. We're always shifting jobs around. What this pandemic has done is accelerated a lot of the trends, underlying trends in the economy, uh, like remote working, uh, like substituting technology and machinery Like uh, automation, etc., all those things were there, and they were moving forward. It's this—it's pan- like this pandemic has pushed things ahead by a decade, and uh, that's why I think it makes it seem so so different that we're in, in, a, in the space of less than a year in terms of the economy. We've experienced a decade of economic change.
0: So many of the businesses are not going to r- return. I guess it's going to create a completely different uh, different view of the uh, of the economic situation. Well, and, uh... that yeah, that's that's a big debate
1: now. In fact, I just uh, as, as you know, Tom, I'm like you. I love books, and, and fortunately, I'm in a profession where where keeping up on things is required. Uh, I just got a book today delivered um, that is written from a business perspective by a business economists. another record this year in terms of the Christmas buying season percent of sales that have been done by people ordering on the computer. Now, again, people say, well, duh, that, we knew that was going to happen. But the point is that that's probably not going to recede next year. It's just going to be built on it. So if you're a retail store, a, a what's called a brick and mortar store, and of course, those owners have been doing this all along, but they have been faced with the, the shock in the last several months, as they're going to, ha- they have had to sell through the internet, cyber sales, in order And Mike, we need to, to stop right here. Yeah,
0: uh, keep your point right, your your, your pe- pencil right on that spot, and we'll come back after we check the news. Okay. WPTF AM 680 and FM at 98.5. Tom Kearney here. This is the point in the night where we usually do a little promoing, and tomorrow night uh, Dr. Edward Funkhauser is going to be here to complete his necrology for the year uh, 2020. Of course, we've got a few days left. want to wax nostalgic about 2020. And if we do, what would the nostalgia be? Uh, Thursday night, which will be New Year's Eve, we'll have a reprise of a program that we recorded a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Rand Coble, former longtime uh, guest on our program, comes by every December with his list of books that he recommends that he's read during the year and he thought worthy of, of doing a little. Passing on of the word. So that'll be Thursday night and Friday night. We'll be Friday night trivia night here on WPTF tonight. Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State, is paying his 13th visit to our program for the year. That's the the Baker's dozen, so so to speak, and uh, he's taking a look back at the economy of this past year, which was a year totally different from any other year, certainly in American history. And uh, and uh, he is at some point here going to. Turn his head, Janus-like, which you know, Mike. That's where the word January comes from. The the, the god that could see both ways <laughs> and take a look at what he thinks is going to happen in nineteen, in, not nineteen. Boy, am out behind twenty twenty one, Mike. Well, let's go ahead and do that. And
1: um, I, I think, and I think most of, most economists think twenty twenty one has to be better than twenty twenty. Um, uh, hopefully, the vaccine works. The vaccines, I should say, multiple vaccines work. Um, hopefully, people uh, people step up and get them. I'm going to, um, and we get that herd immunity. Uh, which, as I understand it, I'm certainly have no background in medicine, but the idea of herd immunity is enough people get inoculated, they 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 are immune to the to in this case, uh, COVID-19, that it dies out. So hopefully that comes, and the sooner the better. I guess uh, there's different opinion among um, among the medical people. Well, could we be there by by spring, maybe late spring, or will be summer? Um, but we'll have to see. Um, that said, the economy should. Um, I mean, if we get if we if we defeat the virus, and we don't have to worry about people being infected. I mean, then we don't have to have uh, businesses shut down. We don't have to have people. I mean, obviously, January of 2020, sometime at the end of 2021. Now, it's a different picture for jobs. And, and of course, most people look at the economy in terms of jobs and gauge the economy uh, in terms of jobs. Jobs should grow and improve and the unemployment rate should come down throughout 2021. But by the end of 2021, the job market will not still be as good as it was pre-pandemic. Uh, rather than an unemployment rate, we'll, we'll say around 4%. We may have an unemployment rate of between 5 and 5.5%. And the reason for this, Tom, is that, first of all, there will be a lot of jobs that simply aren't going to come back. Uh, businesses have found ways to do things without people. I mean, right? If you think about it, Tom, in 2020, if you were a business and you had uh, people working for you rather than machines doing the work, People were a liability because, and, and for many months they couldn't come to work. So, if you had a machine, if your whole operation was automated, then uh, you could still you could still presumably operate. Um, so, I, I think that'll carry forward to 2021. Those kind of changes that some businesses have made, where they've uh, they've used technology, they've used machinery to replace people, those are going to carry over into 2021. So, I think that's one reason why we won't see unemployment. Uh, levels. Then the other factor is that even though um, economists think in terms of total production, total uh, total spending will be back to pre-pandemic levels at the end of 2021, a lot of businesses aren't going to come back. And so we're, we're, we're going to have a, a death rate, if you will, or a bankruptcy rate among businesses it's probably going to be in the double-digit levels. That's all That We're not going to get all the jobs back that we lost. And number two, they're not necessarily going to be
0: the same kinds of of jobs. Do the economists, and I imagine they do, but this may be kind of a set-up question, foresee the continued participation of the government in terms of, for instance, uh, uh, enacting laws or making uh, pronouncements that uh, mortgages can't be foreclosed on Debts will be suspended, and, and there's an awful lot of government spending been taking place during uh, the the yeah. virus period, and so on. Yeah, and and let me por- let me address that. That's, that's
1: an excellent point. And of course, we now have a new round that that uh, pres the president signed, um, I think last night. Uh, they're still debating whether the stimulus checks will be bigger or not, <clears throat> but at least uh, most of that. Um, uh, bill will we'll go through and there will be money that will supplement people's unemployment checks. There will be some kind of checks going to a lot of people. There's going to be money for businesses to help them keep employees on the job, um, uh, selected businesses that have been really hit, like the airlines, they're going to get some loans, et cetera. So that will go through. That's some version of that. It might be bigger. It might be the level that we have now will we'll continue. I think whether we'll get a further stimulus bill, let's say sometime in the spring, will depend on where we are. Uh, if the economy is roaring back and unemployment's going down and businesses are back and the people are getting vaccinated by in droves, and so there's a lot of optimism about about reaching that herd immunity, then maybe not. Um, and what these stimulus packages have, have done, Tom. The economy was and where the economy is. And of course, where it is, has been lower than where it was pre-pandemic. And um, uh, there's been a lot of debate about, well, if we're going to plug the hole, how should we plug it? But, but the essence is to plug that hole. Now, certainly people should recognize all that money, and we're probably talking now about north of $4 trillion with this, this latest package, all that money that the federal government, when I give talks, presentations, of course, they've all been virtual recently, and people ask me about that, and they say, well, Walden, all this money's been borrowed. Isn't that bad? And I say, well, we've had a choice. The choice was, do we do nothing and not borrow that money and let let the economy sink and let uh, even more businesses go out of business, let people uh, who don't have any pay coming in um, um, walk the streets looking for help? Do we let that happen, or do we, say, look, if ever there was a time to borrow money uh, because we have an economy that here is in tatters because of this pandemic, if ever there was a time to borrow from the future, to borrow from your children in the future and your grandchildren in the future, now is the time because uh, without that, uh, our economy would be in shatters. I love the the phrase that uh, Ben Bernanke, who was head of the Federal Reserve during the, the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009, when he was speaking to congressional leaders, and they were talking about that time's version of, of the stimulus package, which now, if you look at the amount of money spent then, which was just shy of a trillion dollars, and here we're now up to $4 looks small. <clears throat> but I can remember uh, Bernanke uh, telling the congressional leadership when he was arguing for this help, he said, if we don't do this now, we're not going to have an economy. Uh, when we when when all this is said and done. And I think you could make that same, uh, uh, you could use that same argument right now, but this money's all been borrowed. so we are going to have higher financing bills. We are going to have higher um, uh, uh, national debt, et cetera. But I, I will be very blunt. I didn't see I don't see any alternative because if we didn't do this. We'd have people on the street we'd have massive uh, destitution among a lot of people, and we'd have an economy that was just
0: cratered. So I think we had to plug the hole. It seems like one of the lessons they must have learned in the Depression of the 30s and in in economic ups and downs since then, is it's maybe better to keep the the economy running, even if it requires priming the pump and those kinds of things, than to let it grind to a halt and have to try to restart it somewhere. Well, but again, I, I would argue this time has
1: been different because you can make an argument, and you're talking about you know, that uh, this this notion that, and we've had ever since we've had a country and ever since we've had an economy, we've had a business cycle. We have good years, we have bad years. We have growth periods, we have recessions. Uh, up until the 1930s, the notion was, well, when we were having bad years, um, and it was due to maybe uh, overinvestment in the stock market or it had to do with uh, – uh, some people cornering the gold market or whatever. Uh, those were decisions that people willingly made. Uh, it hurt other people, but um, the attitude in the early 20th century, 19th, early 20th century is, hey, uh, no, there's no reason for government to step in. Let the people who made those bad decisions and the people who were associated with those decisions, uh, let them suffer the consequences. And the, the, the notion was recession is sort of correct mistakes. And they teach people lessons. You can't make that comparison now because (laughs) the the virus was not brought on by any kind of economic decision. I don't even know that it was brought on by any decision by anyone in this country at all. And it was just thrust upon us. It was something that happened. And um, um, I I think it's a totally different argument to to say we needed to borrow money now in order to support people and support businesses and support the economy. Uh, it's totally different to say that now than it would be with a typical recession, where you could make the argument—I'm not saying I am—but you could make the argument. No recessions. When, when recessions happen, you need to let make sure that the people who cause them suffer, and uh, we need to take people less than we need to get rid of the deadwood, et cetera. You heard—you heard a lot of that in 2007 to 2009. Uh, you
0: don't hear that now because I think it's a totally different. One quick question, and then we need to take a break, and we'll have just a few minutes left at the end of the program. I'm just curious, has there been any particular role that the Federal Reserve System has played, or are they just simply responded to the tune that well, was no, called? Oh, no, they
1: played a big role. Uh, first of all, they, they cut interest rates even further. But, uh, so we're we're down there at a historic low level for interest rates. And the other thing the Federal Reserve did is something they they... they Bernanke did a little bit of it, but, but Jay Powell, who's now the current chair, really took it another step, is they set up lending programs. And, in fact, in, the, in this version of the, uh, that just, just passed in the present sign of the uh, stimulus package, there's language in that bill to, to sort of slap the hand at the Federal Reserve and say, hey, that's not your job. Uh, and they pulled back, the Treasury pulled back some funds. So the Federal Reserve really moved in an entirely different direction. Not only did they try to make the credit markets uh, more affordable for people to access if you had to borrow money, but they also stood there and said, hey, uh, we are a place where if you're a business or a state government, you can come and borrow money. That's something they, they, they really, if they did it in the past, it was a, it was very, very minor. Now they did it in this time, to the trillions of dollars worth. Now, actually, they weren't very successful. A lot. They didn't have a lot of business. Their terms were not nearly as good as the, say, the payroll protection plan. So, the Federal Reserve did move into different territory. They they have been pulled back somewhat on that. Though.
0: Okay, Dr. Mike Walden is our, is our guest tonight. Dr. Walden, we're going to have just about time for one topic when we come back, okay. and this is where my my interviewer's book says. Ask your guests if there's one thing that they particularly want to talk about, so I'm asking you that, and that will be the tease across this break we're taking. Right now at WPTF, it's 949, and we'll be back with Dr. Mike Walden right after this. 53, we've got three, about three and a half minutes left in the program tonight, talking to Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State University, making his 13th visit, his Baker's Dozen for this year, and uh, we will ask him if he will return next year, probably about the middle of January, and we can continue the exchange that we've had over the years and his uh, being on our program to give us a... uh, an idea of the status of the economy. Dr. Walton, is there any particular thing left uh, in terms of looking back at this year and some strange or unusual or unexpected thing that happened? Well, well the there will been a lot I, of those. So perhaps. The three things that I'm
1: interested in tracking and I think will be uh, potentially game changers as a result of the pandemic are to what degree does remote remote working continue and uh, will it expand? There are some futures that say almost half the people in couple decades that we're remotely working. Uh, likewise, what about remote education, remote buying, remote medicine, all those things that, that we now have been doing and, and continue to do, and all those will get better. And then thirdly, uh, what if those two trends take off, what will that do with uh, where people will live? I mean, you can envision a time when if people are working from home, if they can have their children educated at home, they can get their doctors valuations at home, they have things delivered to home, cyberbine. People can live virtually anywhere uh, as long as they can get reliable high-speed internet, which I think is, is probably going to come at some point everywhere. So those are three trends that, and of course, they're all not going to happen necessarily next year, but those are long-run trends over the next couple decades that I'm going to be very interested in seeing how they how they take hold and if they take hold and what that can have tremendous impact on the, on the economic geography of a state
0: you think, Dr. Walter, Perhaps because I think some other people have gotten into the business. What has happened uh, has given a little bit of a push. Not that it needed it to Amazon and that that kind of merchandising.
1: Oh yeah, I'm just waiting for whether Amazon is going to get any competition. I mean, obviously they do have competition, but they
0: they are so good at what
1: they do. They, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit. Whenever I think about buying something now, first thing I mean, well, can I get it on Amazon? It's so convenient. They're very reliable on their scheduling. Um, things from them uh the concern is they're just going to take they're taking over the world and of course in economics we like we like good competition um so uh that'll be interesting to see at some point if they get so big that they begin to falter and that will, will, will allow some rivals to to come in
0: well they are they're a good thing to have in the background. My wife tried to buy some things to fix one of her cabinets at several hardware stores, and they were, she kept being promised that they would be in soon. And finally, I just ordered them from Amazon, and they came in three days. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, I can, I can
1: remember reading a book about Jeff Bezos, the owner or the creator of Amazon, uh, early on. Uh, and he started with books, something near and dear to our hearts, Tom. And and he was, he was determined to, because this had been done, tried before, and failed. He was determined to not make the same mistakes that his predecessors had made. And uh, one of his big things was the packaging. Uh, He he developed these these uh, packages for books where the book wouldn't get damaged. And then the other thing he was determined to do was make make sure that if he told people they were going to get a book on Tuesday, they got the book on Tuesday. And yeah, they've been very good at that.
0: Well, he's the richest man in the world, I am told. Now, thank you, Doctor Walden. Thank you, Tom. And I'll be
1: happy to be a guest next year. So, Happy New Year, Happy New Year, all the listeners and. Hopefully 2021 is going to be a much, much better
0: year in in all ways. Thank you a lot, Mike. My people will be in touch with your people. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Dr. Mike Walden, join us tomorrow night when we'll talk about the necrology with Dr. Ed Funkhauser.